now from Hollywood, California, the horror capital of the world, the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. Good evening, my scrumptious little thralls, and welcome back to the wicked world of the Boulay Brothers, Creatures of the Night. I'm Swanthula, and joining me now, as always, is my cohort in Calamity, the dreadful Drakmorda. Drak, darling, welcome. Well, thank you. (laughs) I'm excited to be back in the podcast studio and excited to be back in Los Angeles. How about you? Oh, I was more thrilled to see L.A. and the L.A. skyline and specifically downtown Los Angeles than I could have ever imagined. It was a long time. It was a long time. And were you excited, too, to see the Australian tour dates go live, too? (laughs) (laughs) As soon as we got back? It's so sadistic. But yes, I am. I mean, I feel like we're unstoppable right now. So I welcome it. I'm excited. Are you excited to go to Australia? What do you think about that? Of course, yes. And I think when we're there in September, it will be spring in the lower hemisphere. Yeah, I am excited to be there. It's gorgeous. And I'm really most excited to see through the eyes of the top four because I don't think any of them have been there before. I don't either. And they seem excited. The venues are beautiful that we're going to. So I think it's going to be a good time and we get to end in New Zealand. So we have to take a couple of days to take them to Smaug's Mountain or (laughs) whatever it is. And to the Shire, (laughs) to the land of hobbits, hobbitses. Yeah. Yeah. That I'm really looking forward to because it'll be our first time there. Mm -hmm. So I want to tell one last story from the tour because I was thinking about today when we were all talking which was the finale show that we did in Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Of course, everyone has a lot of energy, a lot of excitement about it, and we get in the meet and greet, and I'm like, let's spend a little extra time with people today, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, so we did spend a little extra time with them. And, oh, by the way, the photographer who had been traveling with us had to leave the tour a couple of stops before the last stop. So we were having guest photographers come in to do the last couple. So we had this guest photographer. By the way. By the way. <laughs> this guest photographer who came in Atlanta. Very nice, right? I loved her. Yeah, bubbly. So we're taking our time. We're meeting everybody. We're like, it's the finale. Let's be nice and hang out and talk to everybody. Let's be nice. <laughs> <laughs> and we get done. And I see the photographer go over to the tour manager. And I see the tour manager's face turn to stone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's happening? What, what could this be? Oh. And then Ian comes over and is like, the photographer deleted all the photos. And you have to do the meet and greet again. <laughs> and then it was like, <sighs> I think all of us wanted to melt into a pile of ash all yes. at the same time. We love doing the meet and greets as we talked about before, but we do not love doing them twice. <laughs> we don't love it that much. So everyone in Atlanta got to meet us twice, which yeah. was interesting because a lot of times people were scared when they came up to us and they didn't know what to say, which is great because then they're just quiet. But they <laughs> had the chance to go have a drink and be like, I wish I had a said this to them. And then they came back. And they let us have it, right? And they so, really, uh, truly did. And that happened 90 times like a speed round. That's right. Like over and over. A but. speed round that wasn't very speedy because why? The photographer's batteries <laughs> were dying because she had taken so many fucking pictures. And then 
it took about what would you say oh. maybe 80 seconds oh, per God. snap right so, so just to clue people in 80 seconds might not seem like a long time but when you do 80 seconds nearly a minute and a half for 90 people i mean just do the math because even if it's not every time even if it's every like fifth time you're standing there for an extra 45 minutes no one wants to hear it but <laughs> i thought that was just the perfect cherry on the Sunday. Oh, but let's not forget the little fudge drizzle on the top because as soon as we were done with the second round of meet and greets, she looked at her card and was like, oh, actually, I recovered the first round of pictures. I didn't delete them. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. She's lucky. Anyways, in other <laughs> annoying news, did you see the trailer for The Monsters for Rob Zombie's remake of The Monsters? <sighs> Of course, especially since right before we were recording this episode, you said, watch the Monsters <laughs> trailer, and I did, and oh my god, I hate it, I hate it, you I hate, hate it, I hate it, I hate wow. everything about it. Very subjective. Yes, it. they did not interpret anything or reinvent anything, it seems so just stereotypical, maybe it's a tip of the hat to people and fans that love the old classic series, but I don't think that's what it feels like, I think this is just going to be almost like an unimaginative redo and even the living color. Okay. That was kind of a cute little anecdote toward the end. Well, they already did the monsters in color later on. It just wasn't impressive. It was not impressive. I was disappointed because first of all, I wasn't excited for Rob Zombie to take on the monsters because I love the monsters and I know from what he did with Halloween, I wasn't thrilled about that either. So yeah. it's not that it was horrible it just wasn't great so the monsters i was like i love the monsters and then he was like i'm gonna redo it and i was like "Ooh, i don't know but seeing this and of course this is just a little teaser you never know what yeah. he's gonna do with the whole thing but from what i saw it almost felt like a parody. It felt like a Saturday Night Live. It felt like a redo. Or, it was yeah, just like a total redo. There was nothing new, nothing imaginable. Remember when the Adams Family movies came out, right back in the day? That was like a reimagination of the classic show, and it elevated it and took it somewhere interesting and new. And so it was genius! Ah, cool. oh, like a breath of fresh air. So good. It's not looking like this is going to be that. It gave us Debbie. Right. <laughs> But this doesn't look like that, does it? No, it really doesn't. Now, granted, it was only all of like a minute and a half or something, so I could be jumping the gun. But the question was, did I see the preview and did I like it? And the answers were yes and no in that order. And Lily Munster, as someone that I would say influenced me as a child, Sherry Moon Zombie is no Lily Munster. I just got to put it out there because she's not. Yeah. A really weird casting choice. Was it though? Could have I mean, been we, Marilyn. I don't know. Yeah. Right? But you saw that coming like a million miles away. Yeah. I kind of want to back up for a minute because meeting all the people in the meet and greet really got my mind turning on a few things and seeing so many people all over the country really made me think about how deep and how influential the show has become because it means a lot to people, especially people I think that live in rural areas of the country or small towns like the ones we all grew up in. And I feel like those people are brave and it's harder to be true to who you are and what you are when you live in places like that that might be a little bit more conservative or prone to stifle your voice. And it makes me feel connected to those people as if we're all kind of like from the same family, a chosen family. And we can draw strength from each other. And it made me think of a quote that I wanted to share before we moved on to the monsters, but I wanted to back up and just share it. And it comes from all places, George R.R. R. Martin from A Game of Thrones. And it goes like this. Never forget what you are, for surely the world will not. Make it your strength, then it can never be your weakness. Armor yourself in it, and it will never be used to hurt you. 
And I just thought it was so cool to meet so many people that live bravely and openly and loudly in all corners of the country. It relit the flame. That's why I'm like, yes, I'm ready for all the things we have coming and all the things up our sleeve, but I'm also ready to take the show to Australia and spread that message as far and wide as possible. I mean, I would just tell people to move away from Ohio, you know, that would be an option. But then the truth is, and there was articles about this before, if everyone moves to city centers, yeah, then you leave this huge, vast, of the middle of the country as like Trump people, right? That yeah. then don't get exposed to anything new or artistic or creative. And if everyone that thinks like that moves to cities and starts thinking the same, it puts the country in a weird imbalance. You've said this to me many times, and the gist is we have to find middle ground with people that might be conservative or not share our views. Right. And it seems almost anti-intuitive, especially probably coming from us, but I agree with that so fully. I think polarity, splitting the country up is exactly what people in control and people who benefit from that kind of split want. Right. So the idea is that we need to find middle ground with the people that we might not agree with and learn how to live together. I think so too. It's a good message. <laughs> a good meet and greet touring message. Absolutely. There's a bunch of cool merch from the tour too that's now available. So if people are interested in some new stuff, you can find it on our website. Yeah, I like a lot of the new t-shirt designs or some hoodies. There's a new fan. So yeah, if you're interested in Dragula Swag, definitely go to the website and buy it all. Ching! <laughs> I think it's time we welcome our co-host and co-producer to the podcast, Ms. Ian DeVogler. Ian, darling, welcome to the show. From small town Texas all the way to this big city center, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, how's it going? You were supposed to stay in Austin and influence all the straight people like Frankenfurter. Oh, I have been doing a lot of influencing when I was away in Austin, I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) So you're just joining us after the tour. Yes. You took a detour to Texas before you came back. I did. I had to take a little bit of a hiatus back to the land of the eyes of Texas are all upon you, which is actually like a really scary place too there's a lot of like creepy history in texas yeah and it's like super conservative and then there's like a pocket of super liberal people. yeah yeah austin's a crazy place i mean not to just like dig into austin but it's like keep austin weird the city's animal is a bat it's got lots of creepy vibes louisiana is there eva's there total freaks total weirdos everywhere <laughs> <laughs> i'm from there but no it's great to be home honestly i missed you guys i missed the show i miss seeing you too you're making me think of the first time we went to austin that's where we met yeah, yeah. We, the three of us met in austin yes but i remember standing on that bridge because they're like you will not believe the conclave of bats that fly from underneath (laughs) this bridge each and every sunset. So I was like, oh my God, we have to, oh Oh my my God, God. we have to be there. So I was literally with my like virtual popcorn, like ready for the bat cave to explode with bats. (laughs) Zero, not even one. I felt so sad on, I was like, wah, wah. I mean, what is it they say? Like never work with children, never work with animals because they're so unpredictable. It is like that in Austin though, because sometimes you'll be like, mama diva, there's nothing. But then just like that, there are times where I have been in Austin and it's like, the sky is darkened with just the flutter of little mammalian wings. Oh, I wish. <laughs> well, it is good to be back. I'm glad you got to go to sow your familial oaths because now you're back here in your R's. Back to the salt. Yes. <laughs> the doorbell is like, open the door. I'm like, okay, it's like we just left the tour bus totally. like five minutes ago. Totally. Oh my God. It was so weird though being home home because I told you guys this in private, but I'll spill the tea. My sister is getting married and she was going to her dress fitting. And I had just gotten off the tour bus. I had flown for like 16 hours and crazy travel day. And I'm sitting there all black with a black coffee 
and with a black coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there with a black iced coffee wearing all black and the woman who owns the shop is like, and so, Ian, what do you think of the dress? And I'm like, I have just been living in a complete bizarro gay world for so long. I have no thoughts on this. Just vibes. She's beautiful, but I am a total alien here. Yeah. Like, where's the reveal? Where's what? the gag? I mean, where's the gag? Yeah. Is where's there a totally. video? Does she have a video? Hi, we haven't gotten to the tear away yet. Hello. Oh, I know. She's like, we put this veil on her. I'm like, right. And then she sits blood on the crowd. Right? Right? No? Oh, sorry. I don't know. No one's wearing plastic, so it doesn't look like a tour to me. <laughs> Who's the stage manager for this performance? Oh my god, I'm not battling someone. Wait a minute. So did you hear my recap of the Atlanta meet and greet? I did hear the recap, and I loved your impression of me, by the way. It was so, to quote you, ignominious. (laughs) Because in my recollection, it was very much, you look over, you're like, what's happening? I'm like, she deleted all the photos. Yeah. Oh, I could not Can believe, you it. believe it. I mean, my reaction no. instantly, I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Yeah, right. no, literally, oh my gosh. For listeners at home, I turned to Swan and I told her the photographer deleted all the photos. And she goes, <laughs> no, you're kidding. Like, what, what is it? What is it? I was like, no, really, she deleted all the photos. And Swan face crack, like, what? <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Definitely a first. Because people don't know at home that that is our time to get ready for the show. Yeah. So it's not like they're going to push the show back. So we just have to sort of accept it okay, this is going to be crazy. We're going to do the meet and greet again. And you know what? To my own defense, the tour manager, remember, was like, we don't have to do anything. We could just move. I was like, no, these Uh people paid to come here and meet us, and we're going to meet them again gladly, which we did. That's not the part that frustrated me. It was the dead batteries that deserve (laughs) punishment, in my opinion. If you're going to have a calamitous failure... Can you at least come prepared with some fresh batteries? I thought oh like it was in a God. sitcom. I was like, are you <laughs> totally. kidding me? We're going to do the own back padding. I will pat myself on the back because just like for listeners of the last episode, my fake personality, you know, <laughs> I have during the meet and greets. So people were coming back to the line. They'd be like, wait, what's going on? Why are we taking the photos again? And I had these like three canned lines and I like spun out of nowhere. I'd be like, oh, well, you know spectral photography is such a new art form and sometimes the lighting isn't correct and the ghostly images blah 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 or oh well the boulets require a certain number of souls to ingest before they can show up in their corporeal and people are like oh my god it's a good time <laughs> it was fun so overall we had a good time but we are back and we are busier than ever yeah hopefully oh, yeah. we'll have some exciting news that we can announce soon with everybody I think they'll be gagged at what we have to tell them gagged. but they're gonna have to wait just <laughs> shut, shut. Just a little on the ground. <laughs> For those of you that don't remember, this is these guys' attempts at imitating Loras from Resurrection. I was gagged. <laughs> on the ground. They want to put my announcement on air? Gagged. <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Loras. Yes, we do. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will be starting this episode's very special Creature Feature Review. We'll be right back. Attention, misfits, mutants, and outcasts. The Boulay Brothers want you to join the cult now by visiting BouletBrothersDragula.com, where everything from the world of the Boulay Brothers can be found. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter for insider updates, learn more about upcoming projects, and access tons of Boulay Brothers and Boulay Brothers Dragula exclusive merchandise. Visit us now at BouletBrothersDragula.com. Do it or die.
Welcome back, everyone. It's time for this episode's Creature Feature Movie Review. In this episode, we are doing something special and a little different. We'll call it a Creature Double Feature Review. So in place of a movie, this episode, we are going to be reviewing two series that are now streaming. The first series we're going to review is Netflix's Stranger Things Season 4. At least the first half anyways, which has been out for a little while. But we wanted to get a review of it out there before the second half comes out which is either out now or will be out any day by the time the podcast comes out. Mm -hmm. Before we dig into the review, I'm going to first use my 11 powers to banish Ian to the upside down, which I'm doing right now. Okay, great. So Ian is now at the bottom of Barb's pool with a tentacle coming out of his mouth, and he will stay there for the entire review. Because why? Because he didn't watch the show. <laughs> and picture has been painted, and I don't think Ian is going to have a problem with that, like, at all. I In think fact, he likes Yeah, it. I think he likes it, too. <laughs> all right, so let me just round up what happened on this first half of the season. Okay. So basically, a new threat is introduced. We're done with the Demogorgon, and now we have this new villain named Vecna, who is killing children in Hawkins. Like in every season, all the Stranger Things kids and friends are coming together and trying to find out who Vecna is and trying to stop him. Long story short, it turns out that Vecna is actually another kid with mind powers who grew up in the lab with Eleven back when they were children. He turned evil and killed a bunch of the other kids and guards, and then he had a battle with Eleven in the lab, and Eleven used her powers to defeat him and inadvertently opened up the first doorway to the upside down. Mm -hmm. So here we are now, halfway through season four, and we're discovering that it is Eleven's fault the whole time. And just a reminder, Ian is there right now. We're going to check on him a little later. Yeah. So let's talk about this because we've been watching Stranger Things since the beginning. Yeah. What did you think of this first half of the season overall? Well, I want to back up two paces and say I heard so much hype about this before I was able to watch. And I binged pretty recently, but so much of it was oh, it's overblown, it's just kind of ruined, a result of bloated budgets, and they made it too big. But, and I'm so happy about this, I couldn't disagree more. I really loved it. It pulled me right back into Hawkins in the 80s and all of the references that make to the things that I love, like the soundscape, video games, the culture, the clothes, D&D. For me, it was super fun. Hmm. I think it was super fun too, but one of the things I had a problem with was how separate everything was, right? So you had half the kids in California, half of them still in Hawkins, and then there's the whole other storyline of them going to Russia. Yeah. So it was very broken up. It just took until the very end, basically, for them all to come back together. So I felt that made it a little disjointed. I guess it didn't bother me. In fact, I found some kind of interest, too, because characters like Mike and Will sort of faded to the background. Let's be real. We've seen enough of them. But people like Max and Steve and Dustin really came to the foreground and you got to know these sort of peripheral characters a lot more deeply. And mm -hmm. I enjoyed that, like especially Max. Like I thought she was great. There's kind of like three storylines happening, right? There's like the Hellfire Club and the murders in the town. And then there's Eleven going back to the secret facility and the whole Vecna thing. Sure. And then there's Joyce Murray and Hopper and Russia. So what are you thinking is standing out? Look... I'm a Gemini queen. My mind can handle it all. I like it all. It's a fun ride for me. When I switch gears to Russia, I'm like, yes. Oh my God. I love all this violence and the monsters, all this brutality and some of the comedy. Maybe I could have done without. It actually was a little bit Disneyfied through certain episodes. And I think certain segments of the show got a little off of the voice of Stranger Things, or at least the voice I was used to. But when we switched gears to Russia, I was very interested in that. When we switched gears back to 
the flashbacks of Eleven kind of going back to her childhood and remembering all that trauma, that was really engrossing too. And I love the current timeline. So I guess this season was made for someone like me because it was easy for me and almost enjoyable for me to pay attention to the three different storylines. Yeah, I feel like tonally it's three very different things because the whole Russia storyline is very gritty and dark yeah and then you kind of pair that against the kids trying to figure out who the killer is and they go to i forget the nerd girlfriend's house <laughs> in salt lake city <laughs> and that was just ridiculous we total I mean, it was basically Goon yeah, town exactly but, yeah That's I mean, it's like tonally it's kind of all over the place a little bit yeah right? i could definitely agree with that yeah um, but what did you think of the three storylines did you have a favorite or what are your feelings Probably the whole Hellfire Club part I thought was the most interesting. When they were trying to figure out who was killing everyone else in town, and they didn't know it was Vecna, obviously. The police and everyone think it's one of them. Well, then that brings us to the introduction of a new character. And to me, it's perfect because everyone knows a kid exactly like Eddie Munson, who's basically, for lack of better terms, he's like a rock and roll headbanger loser who's head of the Hellfire Club and is the dungeon master in all the D&D games. So if you're a nerd, this is your high priest, basically. Mm -hmm. Doesn't everybody kind of know? I mean, I knew multiple people. Lives like, he lives every in town. every town, yeah, right? Absolutely. He's like so good. That's what I think Stranger Things does very well is they create these characters that everyone can relate to. Because oh, it seems yeah. like everyone has these people in their town. Everybody had a Barb. They messed up by killing her in the first episode, obviously, or the first season. Barb is your queen. <laughs> Barb should be the star of Stranger Things, in my opinion. And so I had two predictions, right? Mm-hmm. My first prediction was that they were going to flip the script, even though they were trying to make you think Eleven killed everybody in that lab. I thought that they were going to, in the end, say that she didn't do it. You and did. They did. You said that consistently throughout. And then I also said that we would see Barb again, and we did. Well, we saw her carcass. <laughs> we know, saw her okay, corpse. But at least they showed her again. Not so they quite did show... the incarnation we were thinking, but maybe the right. one we deserved. Well, do you think she's going to come back by the end or not? She did come back. I mean, come back like alive. No. <laughs> you think she's done? She's done. So I you mean, think truthfully, they just she's been done for seasons. Yeah, but why would they show her again? They showed her again so we would have somewhere to send Ian because it was Barb's pool and that's where her corpse was. Let's check on Ian. Ian, are you there? Hello? Hello? Swan? Drac? There's some frumpy girl's corpse down here and, and I, I can hear Nancy and... and, and hello? Close yep. it back. He's Close fine. It back. He's fine. <laughs> You have a whole other series to review, so I don't want to take too much time on Stranger Things. But what did you think about Robert England as Victor Creed? They brought Freddy to Stranger Things and then, right? (laughs) I mean, what a treat, right? It was so cool to see Robert England back on screen, especially in the horror series. That's one thing I will say. The first half of season four of Stranger Things reminded me that this series sits squarely in the world of horror. It was scary. It was dark themes. When we saw them on the Upside Down for the first time, it was very Dungeons and Dragons, like fighting those bat monsters. And the landscape was so terrifying and dark. It was so cool. And then when we got to the scene where Robert England was introduced to the series, I'm like, this is getting so good. But... It really wasn't. No. The character was so weak. It was flimsy. Yeah. It was almost stupid. I'm it like, you really wasted was a it. waste. I thought he was going to be like the big bad. Me I thought too. he was going to be Vecna. He was going to be like the villain. You or know? like a keystone to the whole story, but it was kind of nothing. nothing. Like, yeah. why did they even bother? Yeah. And it was convoluted. Like, just to get into the minutiae, Vecna will break his victims' bodies and rip out their eyes as they're floating like 10 feet off the ground. Really grisly stuff. 
Then when you see Victor Creed, you see this character, Robert England's character, he's blinded. So you're like, oh, did he get kind of half attacked by Vecna and escape the kill? But no, he goes on to explain some ridiculous story how he tried to take his own life by picking up glass and stabbing out his own eyes. Who would try to do that? It's so unbelievable. Wasn't that the thing? They were like blind or something like that? The first people that was the way Vecna was taking his victims yeah he would so kill them it and almost seems like they did the special effects on him and then they were like "Ooh, <laughs> this look good they're we like to, you know, I don't we know to... we need to change the script and then they were like well we already did the special effects on him and they're like I yeah. don't know just uh, make him explain it somehow we'll fix it in post VO. that was weird let's do a VO <laughs> <laughs> anyway so are you looking forward to the next half Oh, totally. It's lined up. I wasn't sure if we were going to go full spoilers on this, but it's lined up where there's going to be like a huge showdown where the armies of the Mind Flayer, the Demogorg and Vecna all kind of like coalesce. Then the story kind of makes sense. Finally, yeah. we took a big leap there with this season. But for the second half, Eleven's going to have her powers and it's going to be like a full on showdown. I'm definitely excited. Like about Eleven it. versus Vecna, Kids of Hawkins versus the creatures of the. Yeah. yeah. Like number one versus number 11. Like I think it's going to be full circle in theme. Oh, we didn't talk about Will, though. There was heavy insinuation about yeah. his sexuality. Obviously, they're going to make him queer, I think, right? Well, I think it was a choice. And I'm glad that they made it because he was always sort of like the isolated character. And emotional and maybe vulnerable. And I think a lot of young queer people kind of going back to my quote earlier, they grow up in isolation and identity is a difficult thing that everyone that grows up like that can struggle with. And they don't say it like, well, Will is gay, but it's heavily insinuated. And I think it's cool to see it in a show like this. Ice cream girl's gay. No one cares about that. So she's technically the first gay character. Right. Not Ice Cream Girl. It's true. Okay. She is. No, she is. Yeah. She was a lesbian and you could tell last season and no one cared. But now that Will's gay, it's going to be all about him. I guess that's true. But yeah. I think people are more connected to Will because this was a main character and such a pivotal character from the first season of the show. Poor Ice Cream Girl. <laughs> but you know who I love? And I realized this after watching Yellow Jackets. I love Nancy, and Nancy is just like the character I like from... Yeah, I'm spacing her name now, though, but she was... Well, she's like a better version she died. of her, I guess, right? Because Nancy actually does... She's yeah. like brave, and she battles all the bad. But Yellow Jacket's girl is prettier, so... Yeah, true. Anyways, <laughs> I hope she doesn't die. Where we left off, she was like we'll see up what in happens. the air. They shared four preview pictures from the next half of the season. Oh, I haven't seen those yet. Well, she's in them. So I'm like, well, duh. Like, clearly she doesn't die. Yeah. Anyways, on that note, I think I am going to open the portal back to the Upside Down. I'm going to pull Ian... Back into this world. Oh my God. And then I'm going to disappear into the upside down myself <laughs> because I did not watch the next series that you're talking about, nor do I care about it. So goodbye for now. <laughs> Tell Barb I said hi. Well, now that we've freed Ian from the upside down and invited him back to review with me, our favorite adult animated anthology on Netflix, I'm talking about Love Death and Robots. Yes. So good. Oh my God. I have loved this series since this first season. Okay, I feel like you and I actually really bonded over the first episode of the first season. Yes. Which is Sonny's Edge. Yes, it's still a favorite. I went back and watched that over and over more than any other short in all three seasons of the series. Totally. It's so brilliant and I really bring it up because I feel like 
I loved season one. Season two was not my favorite, but I feel like season three really kind of calls back on some of that grisliness and that edge that season one really had. Yeah. I feel like starting with Sonny's edge, which was just violent and sexual. I mean, it was love, death, and robots. Right, and for listeners that don't know, this is a series that has come out on Netflix for a few years. It's in its third season, and they're very short, easily consumed animated episodes. And when I say animation, this is like visionary animation. Oh, yeah. Runs the gamut. Dramatically different styles, and all of it is very adult Mm content-oriented, and it all revolves around either love, death, robots, and sometimes when it's really good, all three. Ooh, spicy. (laughs) Yeah, but that Sonny's Edge was so great, and I think still probably is my favorite episode. I think overall, it's probably my favorite because I do think that it is the most well-rounded. However, and I know we'll get into this, I think that season three has some standout episodes that, for me, rank maybe on a good day as my favorite or at the very least in my top three, four, five. This season is chock full of brilliant episodes. Sure. Well, let's start, as I love to, at the end with episode nine. And the title is Jabaro. And I think this episode teased the whole series. I saw visuals from this before I even knew there was a third season. Yeah, same. People were writing about it and the stamp of the main character who is actually a siren, like that visual stamp was just kind of seared in my head. I needed to know, what is this? Yeah, the marketing for this season was great and organic in that way, which is interesting because the siren takes on a sort of non-organic, organic siren herself. And similarly, I had seen promo images of this character before I had seen it. I was like, oh, I have to watch it. Exactly. Me too. And it almost seemed kind of drag. It was so elevated and beautiful and stunning. I'm like, what is this? Because it almost seems like inspiration for a Boulay look. I felt like, ooh, I would love to dress like this character or kind of be this character. I needed to know about her. Again, this is the ninth episode Mm -hmm. from this season of Love, Death, and Robots. It's called Jabaro, and the synopsis goes... A deaf knight and a siren of myth become entwined in a deadly dance. A fatal attraction infused with blood, death, and treasure. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> a little filth, a little horror, and some glamour. <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things. What did you think of Jabaro? Because I remember when I had watched it, we actually both watched this on tour. I binged all of them except for Jabaro, and you were like, oh, I really want to talk to you about it. Yeah. What did you think? Okay, so I'm going to use a reference that I made on the last episode, which is my Bjork reference, right? This is like Swan's Bjork theory, where I love Bjork as an artist. I think she's amazing. I don't love everything about Mm -hmm. all of her songs, but almost invariably, there's something about each song that I love, even in part. And that's how I feel about Jabaro, too. Because I think the dancing and some of the visuals and certainly her using, like, the siren's wail was so fucking cool totally. like oh i could watch this over and over i feel conflicted about jabaro because i love the visuals i love the visual of the siren i think that the animation is really beautiful and i think that the story is dark and it's haunting and it's sad and i think that for me i find the sadness in sort of a tragic way where this siren is almost for the first time finding a companion who can withstand her siren wail and there's a little bit of a connection and a love but then she's immediately betrayed by him. Yeah, like rooted in a loneliness too. You feel like the knight through his deafness and her through her inability to even get close to anything alive, Mm -hmm. they live these dual lives of like inherent loneliness and separation. Absolutely. And I think that loneliness really came through with the fact that she was betrayed and they embrace and she kisses him and there's a little bit of that blood that kind of comes up from her jeweled lips. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so fabulous and so beautiful. And then for it to go into, big spoiler here, he literally strips her of her jewels and it's her skin and it comes off and he just 
brutally takes from her. And I feel like it's much an allegory of rape and of the way that men treat women throughout myth and mythology. And I just was crushed by it. And I really welcomed his death. I was like, how dare you do this to her? Mm. I love her as a character. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, maybe this is part of what makes a beautiful story is the tragic nature of it. But I just wanted her to get her rocks off. (laughs) Her jewels. Yeah, her jewel rocks, all the diamonds and all the jewels. But I hope people can hear the excitement when we talk about this one episode on this nine episode series. And I definitely implore anyone who's listening to watch Love, Death and Robots because- That's just one little 20-minute journey, and you get to go on these little adventures every couple of minutes because they're short. Mm -hmm. I think the shortest one this season is like seven minutes, and most of them are like 10 or 12. Yeah, I think the seven-minute one is episode four. It's Night of the Mini Dead. It's the story of a zombie apocalypse told in miniature. Yeah, I love this too. You see it, and it's almost (laughs) seen from like, oh God, I can't think of the gaming platform. Like a Diablo, like isometric top down. Exactly. You're looking down, and you see like this little (laughs) like couple who go and have sex in a graveyard and defile the church. And from that, an entire zombie apocalypse culminating in the destruction of the world, all within seven minutes. Totally. (laughs) So fun. I love this short specifically because I feel like There aren't a lot of humorous shorts in this season, which I know that we have gone back and forth, humor and horror, when they mix and how do they work. And I thought it actually did mix very well here. And one of the things that I just found so funny is the couple comes up and they're in the graveyard and then they start to have sex. And of course, it's pan back. You can't really see anything. But what you can experience is the sound. And it's like... It's so like, just like funny and the weird sounding. And then the statue collapses and suddenly there are eldritch abominations and green hellfire. I was like, oh my God, I love this. Literally goes straight to hell in like two (laughs) seconds. Totally. I thought another standout episode, and I'm leading up to like what the question is, what is your favorite? Ooh, which the I big hate. question. And, and you know, I usually hate that question, but I have a good answer because this time I really know which one my favorite one was. I'm just excited for this question because I have mine too, and okay. we don't share the same favorite, but I absolutely love the one that I think you're going to be your favorite. So go ahead. Continue. Okay, cool. Well, this next episode I thought was one that was notable, and it reminded me of you because it very steeped in eldritch gods oh. and ancient evil, very yes. like Lovecraftian. And this one is called In Vaulted Halls Entombed. Yeah. And the synopsis goes, deep in the mountains of Afghanistan, a squad of special forces soldiers has the dangerous job of recovering a hostage held by terrorists. But the evil they encounter as they venture deep underground is far more ancient and terrifying. I love this episode. Not my favorite, but still one of the best of the series, I thought. Yeah. And I really love the animation style they use because this one has almost a more realistic style of animation and they used actors like Joe Mangianello. I'm so sorry if I butchered his name, who played Alcide from the True Blood series. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's the lead and he did all the motion capture work and when I saw him, I was like, oh my God, the animation is so on. Like I was like, it looks just like him. This animation compared to what is going to be the one that I talk about for my favorite are so drastically different. It reminded me again why I love this series because the animation is so varied. Well, this particular story I love too because it takes you from this military operation into the world of ancient chain gods, like mind controlling lesser beings, which of course is a human and just kind of influencing from the wasteland of the desert underground. Like this was like so evocative. It lit my imagination on fire, which is why I love Love, Death and Robots. Absolutely. And it's so fun. And I love that you thought of me for this because (laughs) I realized that I know this about myself, but I realized that I talk about all the time. Obsessed. I love 
eldritch horror. I love cosmic horror. I love Lovecraft. And I went home and my sister was like, oh, well, you know, Lovecraft, you love him, right? And I was like, oh, oh. Okay, okay. your reputation yes. precedes you. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I think it's time to come to my favorite episode, uh, for those of you that are interested. It's episode two of the series. It's called Bad Traveling. Yes. Oh, my God. Go in, Generally, sis. maybe with the exception of Sonny's Edge, because mm-hmm. that was the first episode of season one, and that is so good. I think seasons two and three, they started with these little kind of robots, like yeah. three robots, and then it's these little anecdotal stories and they're kind of cutesy and, mm-hmm. and that's fine, but it's not for me yeah. to follow up this season's little three robot story with this. The synopsis reads, release the Thanopod. A ship's crew member sailing an alien ocean strikes a deal with a ravenous monster of the deep. And the monster is in the hull of the oh, ship. Oh my God. And it talks about human relationships and betrayal and manipulation and morality mm-hmm. and monsters just literally taking control of human shells yeah. and using them like skin puppets and it was just horrifying and amazing okay i have to dig into what you just said about monsters using humans as their vessels because there's a monster it's the thanopod and it's a sort of crab like eldritch nightmare creature that lives in the hull of the ship and when our protagonist first encounters the thanopod it is using the corpse of another crew member and it has its tentacle woven through its systems and it's controlling its vocal cords and it's just this grisly nightmarish. I was like, this is a literal nightmare. I thought it was so fresh and imaginative. I had never seen that before. And I remember I was in my bunk with my phone above my eyes. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> literally watching this on the tour yeah. bus. Yeah. And I literally, I was like, I had to pause it and just look at this creature. I was like, Mama, I am gagged. Oh, my God. I rewound it so many times, and then I stopped and changed my settings on my phone so I can To brightener? No, no, so I can see the subtitles. Because when the Thanopod was talking, it was so distorted and Mm -hmm. dark and watery. And, like, using the human vocal cords to speak and communicate with another human, like, I wanted to know every word. Totally. What I really loved about that story, though, is, yes, it's grisly, it's brutal, it's gruesome. But it also had elements of almost like the thing where the real, quote unquote, the real monster is human and it's paranoia. And the protagonist, who is almost sort of the villain until it's revealed that he's not, he's manipulating them and kind of pitting them against each other to essentially save everyone. Right. There's like a twist in this morality, right? I mean, he literally kills every other living person on the boat to save all of the lives that are on this island where they're headed. Right. It's just like this wild gambit of what's more valuable. What is a justifiable way you can follow <laughs> your own moral code? It's like wild. Totally. Well, let's move on to your favorite episode of the season. <sighs> okay. My favorite, which is maybe going to be a little shocking, but I just from moment one, I was like, I love this, is episode five, Kill Team Kill. And... <laughs> <laughs> And it has nothing to do with a giant mechanical bear, does it? Oh, clock diva. Giant mechanical bear with huge titanium arachnid flesh-rending claws. The synopsis for Kill Team Kill is, U.S. Special Forces are trained to neutralize any threat, even a cybernetic killing machine created by the CIA. Their secret weapon? A sense of humor. Which, for fans of the podcast, you may know, and like I just referenced earlier, humor and horror and I don't always mix, but this one... It was like a pitch-perfect blend for me. It starts out, it's very adult. You have one of the characters is pissing directly into the camera. It's just like total bro culture humor. Oh, yeah, military bro. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, like, I can appreciate this in some way. Like, I love Predator. I love that sort of subgenre. And then when they meet the bear, who I think they call it Secret Project Bar Guest, 
and it goes from zero to a hundred in the span of like five frames. Like this bear comes in, he's got rockets, he's got diamond oh. teeth, he's ripping people's legs oh. off. Let's like total overkill mega death. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And the soundtrack is this like really hard electro dubstep. And I was just like, fuck. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Thought it was great. <laughs> no, it was. That's actually a really fun episode and not one I thought you would pick as your favorite, but definitely like really fun. And, and it's alert, a alert. <gasps> oh my God. I am back is and it, this is too much. Is it track? Okay. The whole <laughs> upside down has disintegrated and aged and is no longer there because you all talked way too long. Okay. Well, welcome back. <laughs> I think listeners know Love, Death, and Robots is definitely worth Y'all can watch. like call each other after this. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might. And maybe we'll put that on and the uh, special. YouTube episode to episode wow <laughs> not just the recap of the whole thing and your favorite highlights no that each episode gets its own review I'm about well, to go back and do my stranger things review well could you tell per we lo- episode <laughs> could you tell we loved it no thumbs up on this love death and robots right we love it <sighs> great All right, anyways, we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we are going to dig into our bag of listener mail. Stay tuned. All right, we are back and ready to answer all of your listener questions. Ian, will you do the honors? Sorry, I had to take another detour back to the upside down, but yes, I would love to. (laughs) Alistair from Brighton writes, First is about Israel. He's the most traditionally masculine-coded person on the Belay Brothers Dragula, but he never says a word. Was this a deliberate choice for him to not speak so as to elevate other non-masculine voices, or is he just shy? I think in the Boulay Brothers universe, we like to flip the script of gender, right? So a lot of times in movies, especially like horror movies in the 80s and stuff, you see women as props or women as appendages of the men or objects of the men. So we really want to flip that in our world and make it to where that's what the men are. So the men are objectified and we sort of don't let them talk. None of the men on our show talk, you know, all of our manservants or whatever you call them. And we dispose of them easily we rip them up and kill them and whatever and so that's sort of the reason for that as it should be just as it should why does ian get to talk though i was actually just gonna say if i may which i think is interesting in season two i am kind of one of the de facto manservant characters there's sean morales there's israel but i don't know i like to think there's some mythology where maybe that version of me was killed. You guys made a new one in the lab, and you're like, okay, maybe your talents are better served elsewhere. Look, I've been splicing alchemical DNA in the basement for years, (laughs) and you're one of my greatest successes. (laughs) He's the first male on the show that can speak without being offensive. (laughs) (laughs) Which brings me to one of my favorite things that people brought up a lot from the tour, when people would kind of start to be like, oh, we know you. Someone was like, oh, Let's rip our fucking throat out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is truly one of my favorite things. Ian is a Transylvanian like we are. That's what it is. It's true. Brian from Cleveland asks, I want to first thank you for creating this fantastic, dark, and twisted space. My question for you all is for previous and or future exterminations on the Belay Brothers Dragula, what inspires you most? I think what's going to get the most shock out of the competitor and then also 
the crowd. Like that's really what it's all about, right? We want to show these drag artists doing crazy things that are shocking to see happen on TV. And that's the main motivator, really. Fear, the unexpected, torture, et cetera, et cetera. Sophia from Washington, D.C. asks, I'm not sure if you've all been keeping up with Texas lawmakers' attempts to make it illegal for minors to attend drag shows, which got me thinking. Politicians' whack-ass priorities aside, do you think there is space for children to attend certain drag events? Is opening the scene up to children defanging drag, or could it normalize the art form? All right, so obviously this has come up a couple of times. I've seen it on social media. We haven't said anything about it yet. So here's what I really think. I think this is a giant distraction. This is just mm-hmm. another big red flag for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or whatever her name is to sort of reinforce that she is the most conservative of all conservatives. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's like, does she really care? Probably not. You know, maybe on some level she does, but it's just an opportunity for her to once again cause a big shit storm on Twitter. I completely agree. And my short answer is not all drag shows are appropriate for children, just like not all shows are appropriate mm-hmm. for children or painters or artists or songs or movies. It's at the discretion of their parent or caretaker. It's not just inherently anti-children because it is a drag show. I'm sure that there are plenty of drag shows that children would love to see. It would bring them joy and be creative and something really inspiring, but not all of them. It seems to be something hypocritical about it, I'll say, because there's certainly like even, OK, let's say like cheerleaders at a football game. Sometimes mm-hmm. they're dressed pretty scandalously. Is it a sex thing? Like, what is it that they have an issue with? Because if it's that. You should have a problem with a lot of different things in the media. Totally. And I think that you're hitting on exactly the point is it's not about what the people are wearing. It's not about what they look like. It's about the fact that they're queer. It's about the fact that children are susceptible to gay people infecting them with their poisonous gay minds and just stuff like that. It's like a rhetoric that's like as old as time where these lawmakers are like, oh, don't look at this gun violence over here. Instead, look at the damaging ways that gay people can turn our children gay as if it's some sort of, one, real, and two, I don't know, a thing to be concerned with. I think the universe on a daily basis that I'm queer. I think about being grateful for being queer as much as Ian thinks about martyrs, which is every day. Literally every day. (laughs) And honestly, and that's my one for the day. I'm going to drive home tonight and I'm going to be like... Damn. (laughs) Martyrs, mama. French extremism. (laughs) Okay, but I think that's actually an interesting example of what you had said. I think that there are certain drag shows, like there are certain horror movies, that I think are perfectly suitable for children. And I think that it's stupid to say, oh, de facto, you can't have any children at any drag shows. I'm like, okay, if there's drag happening at the park and some artist is just doing a death drop in a shiny leotard, great work. But then there are also horror films like Martyrs. And I'm like, eh, not for children at all. Do not show that. And even, you know, when we were on tour, I saw two sides of the same coin. There was one show where a parent brought their child and their child was, I think, maybe like 13 or even younger than maybe like 11. They were like, my kid is very mature. We talk about this kind of content. We talk about the art form and they can handle it. And then I met another parent that was like, oh, my kid's 14, but I don't know if this is appropriate. You know, I don't know what they're going to see. And I feel like you have to have a level of discretion when it comes to those sorts of things. But just to say children shouldn't be allowed to see drag shows, I'm like, fuck off. It's ridiculous. Traditionally, back in the day at least, drag was usually performed in adult spaces. Drag was performed in queer clubs. And it was very wrong, very raunchy, and not really appropriate for kids. And And I live. Right, because part it was queer performance art, right? You would use it to speak about things like AIDS or hookup culture Mm -hmm. or 
just ways to express yourself because queer people back then couldn't just express themselves on the street like today is different but then it was like you would get together and be wrong and be obnoxious and turn your queerness to level 10 yeah and so i could kind of get that yeah okay maybe that's not really appropriate for kids right yeah but there is something about representation that's like hey you know expressing yourself is a good thing if you're a queer person and Mm -hmm. so in that way i think it's good I guess it could go either way, right? Well, I think seeing drag scares the shit out of a lot of straight people and a lot of conservative, conservative people. It scares because- the shit out of me. Some of it's bad. <laughs> I mean, it is Some bad. of it is really horrifying. Especially the kind they're talking You're about right. that's <laughs> intended for kids. Like top 40? Maybe they oh, shouldn't. God. I mean, maybe they shouldn't let kids see that because they're going to think that that's what drag <gasps> yes. is. Yeah. They're like, yes, mama, God. <laughs> Don't mock like, Ian like I'm that. like, damn, two Ian impressions. And what, you know what? Find me in the upside <laughs> down with a tentacle in my mouth okay so listen right, though, what that's i'm what they're saying gonna think no 100 good drag but so listen, maybe we should get with the republicans someone and is gonna take that kids so from watching context, drag. Diva. <laughs> that is beyond i think drag put in the face of someone who's conservative let's say a republican scares the shit out of them because it makes them face things like queerness gender identity just just clothing in general and the sexuality like these are all things that were kind of programmed to veer away from in a conservative society and if you don't fall within the very black and white sort of binary rules you freak the shit out of everybody the church your parents conservative people so i'm gonna wrap this up in a tweet (laughs) (laughs) i did not send this tweet and i should have oh the drafts of the boulet brothers twitter this thing you don't want it (laughs) so here it is marjorie taylor green says i'm introducing a bill to make it illegal for children to be exposed to drag queen performances and i retweeted it with a quote and said I'm introducing a bill to make it illegal for people who can't pass a basic IQ test to be disqualified from serving in Congress. Oh, and I, oh. <laughs> Seriously, where are our priorities here? People need health care. They need jobs. They need money. They need security. Literally. You think these people are at home? They didn't think about a drag queen show before she opened her big mouth. They were like, I voted for you so you could go and do something to make my life better. Not to sit up there and look like a clown talking about drag queens. <laughs> Distracting everybody left and right while the world is literally going to hell in a handbasket. Hell in a handbasket. I see that drag show. Read Let's Mama God. On. Let's move on. <laughs> anyway, yes, Mama, work, girl. <laughs> Georgina from London writes, I recently watched the Rocky Horror Picture Show and noticed various things you've referenced or paid homage to. It's clearly a big influence on you both, so can you share your thoughts on the film and talk about when you first saw it? Plus, if you were to recreate it, which one of you gets to play Frank? If we recreate it, it'll probably be a prequel. Yeah. And we'll be ourselves. We're not going to play Frank because we're... Representatives of the planetary system of Transylvania. We're transsexual, (laughs) exactly. So when I first saw it, I was like, what the absolute fuck is this movie? Because it was so silly, but then it was talking about aliens, and everyone had like gothic Julia Fox makeup on, and I, had, I don't know what was happening, right? And then she had an afro too. I was like, I don't know I what mean, is happening. There was like gold lame hot shorts and like white dildo levers, and, and the, yeah, all the levers were dildos. I was like, I mean, I, what is going on? There was like cross dressers having sex with men and women, oh, and, yes. and parties with old guys in wheelchairs in a rainy Victorian and castle. Suddenly, meatless. Loaf is dead under the table, diva. And seriously, I was like, 
this reminds me of me and my friends on a much different level. And I was like, I like this movie. Yeah. Because my friends were weird. They were <laughs> just as weird as all those characters. And I was like, it makes sense. Yeah. It was everything. I loved I love it. That. Groundbreaking, right? There's nothing like it. It's so silly and just like, you don't give a shit. Kind of like if you just made something up as a joke and you just were like, let's make a movie out and of it. And then you had like four or five seasons of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a spinoff. <laughs> oh my god I would also like to say If you guys do make a prequel I don't know how it will happen But I still want to be Janet <laughs> Oh no <laughs> Brad Rocky <laughs> Mr. Scott Janet <laughs> Red from Tennessee writes I want to inquire as to your best advice for a non-binary, AFAB, little drag prince fledgling who not only just came out at 45 years old, hooray for horrific religious cult trauma and red state culture, but recently gained an interest in performing, quote, horror drag. What is the one most helpful thing you could share with me as I close in on 50 and jump into the drag pool? Pick new music. (laughs) If you're 50, nobody wants to hear the music that you like. Pick a song that's been made in the past five years so that you don't get booed off the stage <laughs> and don't use fake blood it's the easy go-to and it annoys everyone else that you're performing with yeah that's true that's an unseen aspect of performing in a show that features horror drag because if you go after someone who has like liquids liquid gags stage blood i mean be aware that people will come out after you and they might have gorgeous expensive gowns and things mm-hmm. that they don't want blood dripping all over it's definitely a hazard to be avoided what's your advice for a fledgling 50 year old drag artist your age doesn't phase me at all it's your access to practice and stages like how often can you get in front of an audience and perform because for me that is when drag really is at its best when it comes alive literally in front of an audience and that shared experience so oftentimes like AFAB performers or drag kings or non-traditional drag artists don't have a lot of stages to perform on. And that's why we've created a lot of the clubs and events that we have because we love to celebrate that, celebrate it as much as we can. That reminds me, I think I'm going to go back. My best advice for you to be to join a local theater group and learn how to perform and how to have stage presence and charisma. Because then when you come out on stage at your first drag show, you're going to kill it. Cause that's what it takes. Like, of course you have to look good and have good makeup and costumes and stuff, but you really have to have the confidence to sell it. That's what drag is all about. The best drag artists I can think of don't care what anyone think of them. You can tell they love what they are doing and they love themselves a hundred percent. So that would be my advice. Adram card from California writes, do Ian and Swan ever feel weird? Because even though they are both great, they have to be around drag who is mostly right all the time. I've never thought about that before. Wow, Adram Card. Adram Card. What, what an interesting... I know. It feels like a name seeped in history. Like, no, they're mm. probably just a nerd. Oh, total Probably goon. just a total goonette nerd <laughs> with Big no friends. Goonette. Who think they know us because they just listen. Big old goonette <laughs> listening to the podcast. Track, what do you think? Track Morta. That sounds kind of smart to me. Track Morta, what do you think about Adram Card's question? <laughs> sounds kind of smart to me. Let's move on. There's only a one word answer, and it's the only answer anyone would need. Alagard. No. Alagard. Oh, I hate that. I hate that. But it's so the, bad. It's the only word the spirits know. <laughs> That's all the time we have for now, children. 
We'll see you back here on the next episode of Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night. Thanks for listening. The Boulet Brothers Creatures of the Night is a Dread Central production. Hosted by the Boulet Brothers with their co-host and producer, Ian DeVogler. Engineered and mixed by Carlos Bueno with music by Neuron Spectre.